So my original plan um, had been to continue forward in our study of Ephesians. We actually were not in Ephesians last week, but we were going to come back to chapter 2 and verse 15. That would have been where we left off. We've we've gone through verse 14. But I think I listened to a couple other messages on the section of Scripture and and just thinking of the whole context, I think it would benefit us if we um, actually took a step back and saw the broader picture of what the Apostle Paul is doing throughout the second half of chapter 2 and moving through much of chapter 3. Because we remember that chapters, divisions, weren't in the letter um, that he wrote to Ephesians, neither were the verses. Uh, uh, the, it was just written in paragraph form. Um, and so uh, we, I think we can learn through this section of Scripture, and then we'll spend some more time digging more deeply into it. So, The subject of this section of scripture that I read this morning, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2, and really throughout much of chapter 3, but especially through verse 11, um, is revealing the meaning of a mystery of God. Um, We are actually introduced to the idea of a mystery back in chapter 1. If you look uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10, it says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And that mystery was that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Now, it's not the same mystery we're going to talk about today, but the idea of a mystery um, is something that is is just, you know, Paul is giving us new information um, <clears throat> and we'll see the word mystery come up again, right? We, we read it. It was in chapter 3 and verse 3, um, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Um, then verse 4, knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And then again down in verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He's going to give us the identity of this mystery in chapter 3, um, and, but we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, but we actually start to be introduced to it in chapter 2. Um, and uh, <clears throat> remember, in our study of chapter 2 so far, in the verse, first 10 verses of that chapter, we were focused on God giving us new spiritual life. Uh, we were dead, right? You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And um, he did that out of his great mercy and love, God did. And he had a purpose in that awakening, um, and that was that came through um, verse seven that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Um, he also had a purpose for us, and the purpose for us was in verse ten that we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He had before ordained good works for us; <clears throat> they were designed for us. We were um, his creation and he designed not just what, not just the object, but what the object was to do. We also uh, said that is um, um, in verse 11 of chapter two, we came to the only commandment in the first three chapters of this book, which is the command to remember. Um, and it was to call the Gentile Ephesian believers to remember their history They had an ethnic identity that was separate from the people of God, Um, the Jews, um, and that left them in a pretty hopeless condition. Uh, But there had been a change because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that change begins to point us to the direction of what this mystery is. 
Um, so the goal today is first to refresh our minds about what it means to be a Jew or a Gentile. Next, then I would, I'm going to, we're going to look at what it means, what, what is a mystery and how is God using the mystery? And then finally, I'm going to see what exactly is this mystery and what, what does it mean? And so we're going to examine all of some, some particular details of it today and then we'll dig more into it in future weeks, Lord willing. So our first question we're going to answer today are, who are the Jews and the Gentiles? And we talked a little bit about this last time when we talked about the, the, the heritage of the Gentiles and, and where they came from and why they had no hope. They weren't the people of the covenant, of the, the, the promise. But I think I want to spend a little bit more time there to make this clear because there are con- there is confusion sometimes on what's going on with the Jews and Gentiles in the past, today, and in the future. So... Backing up to the basics, we're going to remember first off that we are all descendants from Noah. Every one of us can trace our family tree to Noah. And you say, why is that? Well, because only Noah and his three sons and their wives emerged from the ark. Uh, They were the only ones spared from the flood. Genesis 7.13 tells us, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. So that's it. That's all you got. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so you've got eight people. And therefore, everyone on this earth, and so since uh, all of those people, um, their uh, they're family-wise trace back to Noah, then all other people, um, those who descended from anyone else than Noah, perished in the flood. Um, and so... Uh, and you say, well, are you sure about that? And Genesis 7, 23, um, when they are in the ark, uh, says, And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. So that is it. You only have Noah and his family coming out. So um, we're going to, so that's the beginning, all from Noah. <clears throat> so, We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 10, which I think in the Pew Bible is page 13, right at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 10, to see what this left for us with Noah and his disciples. It's the first five verses of Genesis chapter 10, um, where we start to see some of the descendants. Uh, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. So we're going to learn about those that came after Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. And we'll get through a couple of these names, could be a challenge. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog, and Medai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togarma. And the sons of Javan, Elishash, Elisha, uh, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. And by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. And so we've only gotten through Japheth and his descendants there. But that, we are introduced there to the first use of the word Gentile in the Bible. Um, And that is in verse 5. The isles of the Gentiles were divided. Um, And it kind of... uh, Isles in the, is kind of an old, old English in the King James. It really means they're coasts. Um, there aren't like little islands with families on them. Um, there's kind of some of that. But the bigger picture here is that um, 
What's interesting is if you look at that word Gentile in verse 5, and then families and nations um, in that same verse, it's the same uh, root uh, Hebrew word. Um, And so they're, they're virtually identical. And so what this means is that the word Gentile is kind of a word that just means the nations of the world. Everyone is a Gentile. Everyone is part of the nations of the world. We have Noah and his three sons and their families. They, they, they start spreading out across the world as they've been commanded to. They have sons and daughters. They have families. And they continue to grow. And, but these people are called the nations, the peoples, or the Gentiles. And so we see, and that's something that's consistent in Scripture, um, everybody is a Gentile at this point. Um, they shared a common language at this point, right? Uh, Noah and his sons didn't speak different languages. Um, and what this leads to is the building of the Tower of Babel, um, which is in direct contradiction to God's command to spread across the earth and subdue it. Uh, God had given the command to Adam and Eve, you, you have family, grow and, 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 and have dominion across the earth. Um, and it's reiterated again in Genesis chapter 9 as well. Um, And at the end of Genesis chapter 11, so we're in chapter 10 here, at the end of Genesis chapter 11, God thwarts the desires of the people to build a tower, to reach to the heaven. Um, In verse 9 of that chapter, it says, Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So God gives mankind a command, go and spread across all the world, to have dominion over it. Man says, nope, we're going to stay all together and build a big tower and try to be up and reach to the heavens. We want to be up to God on our own path. So God says, okay, um, that is in disobedience to me. So I'm going to make it so that all your languages are different. I'm going to confound your language. So everyone no longer can speak each other's language. They can't finish the tower. And he says, from thence did the Lord scatter them. So he forcibly scatters them by uh, confounding their language. So now we have Gentiles spreading across the world. Um, And we don't have all the details of where everybody was, but we get some indication of that. But that's not our goal today. Our goal is to continue forward to the very important 12th chapter of Genesis. Because at this point, the world consists of many nations, many Gentiles that have many different languages, and they are spreading across the globe. Then... There is a complete change in God's administration to man when God confronts the pagan idolater Abram, who we later will hear is named, or changes his name, has his name changed by God to Abraham. So the opening of Genesis 12, there's a change. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and lot with, with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So this is the beginning of the Jewish nation. The very beginning is Abraham, or Abram. Um, He would become Abraham, which in Genesis 17 is when that happens, uh, and it means the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. So his name kind of builds in the promise that was given to him. 
He was promised a, a, a son um, that would then carry out, uh, <clears throat> through which God would carry out the promises of Genesis 12, that his family would continue. Um, and I'm not going to go through all the details of this, but the, the, the way the general evolution of the story is that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, um, are unable to have children because, well, one, they are too old. Um, and this leads to Abraham um, saying, well, I have this promise. God's told me I'm going to be the father of many nations and, and I'm going to be the, 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 have a great name. And, but my wife is barren because we're getting old. Let's try to figure out how to fix this on our own terms. And so Abraham decides to seek to help God fulfill his will or his promise by taking the situation in his own hands and having a child with uh, Sarah's maid, Hagar. Um, and that child is Ishmael. Um, and if you were ever to talk to folks in the religion of Islam, they trace their heritage back to Abraham through Ishmael. Um, and God reminds, but that is not the child of promise. That's the child kind of of human will. Um, and God reminds Abraham that, no, 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 the child would come from him and Sarah. Um, and he gives them Isaac as a miraculous son. Uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, conceive Isaac when Abraham is just before 100 years old, 99, and Sarah is 90. Um, and so God makes a very clean uh, plain point to them. You cannot do this. This is God's doing. It's a miraculous doing. Now, Isaac, as he grows up, he has two sons that factor prominently in Scripture. And, that's, and we've actually talked about it recently when in our study in Romans, uh, Jacob and Esau. Um, and Jacob, the younger, is the son of promise. So he is the one. So um, I still listened about this last week is, is, just, is when um, between Ishmael and Isaac, you see God saying, no, no, no. We're going to miraculously do this. You're not going to do this on your own terms. Um, and now in Jacob and Esau, he, the, the, it's still a, uh, in, in some ways a miraculous conception because it is, is um, uh, Rachel asks God um, to, uh, um, to have a child. Uh, but now you say, well, once uh, these two children are conceived, they're twins. So they're in the womb at the same time. Now, typically, the older is going to be the one who the line's going to go through. That's going to be the, the, the son of promise. And God says, nope. Um, you're going to say he's going to pick the younger to be the son of promise. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Um, albeit just a little bit uh, younger. Um, <clears throat> um, but uh, Jacob is the child of promise. So this promise that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations goes through Isaac and now through Jacob. So God is saying, this is not done based on the way man does things. You aren't the one to conceive and, and create Isaac. That is a miraculous work of God. Um, and now you're not the one to pick which one gets to be first in line. That is the work of God. He is doing everything against the basic human will to show that this is God's promise that's making this happen. This isn't the Tower of Babel. We're going to do it. This is God. I'm going to do it. Um, and so Jacob, um, have I loved, Esau, have I hated? Uh, that's what we've been studying in, in Romans 9. Um, and Jacob is given the name Israel. By God, which means Prince of God. 
And it's his 12 sons that begin to that become the original children of Israel. Um, and 12 tribes come out of these sons uh, that characterize Israel throughout the remainder of Scripture. And um, it's how the Jews would identify themselves today, you know, what tribe they're of. Um, and there is a promise to them that continues even to this day that is yet to be fulfilled completely. <clears throat> so what about everybody else, right? So God shows Abram, changes his name to Abraham. There's this line of promise that goes through uh, Isaac and Jacob. But everyone that's left over from that kind of retains their original description. They're all still Gentiles. We are Gentiles. Anyone who's not born as a Jew is a Gentile. Um, And we're not going to recover all of this because we already talked about it, but this created a lot of animosity between those two groups. If you're specially chosen by God, that would tend to breed pride in the human heart, unfortunately. Uh, They were given the special rules, right, the Mosaic law that would set them apart from the rest of the world. So Jews would look down on the Gentiles, and that didn't necessarily give the Gentiles a warm, fuzzy feeling about the Jews either. Uh, So this uh, animosity, unfortunately, in many places continues to this day, Um, despite the fact that God uh, continues to have a plan for his people. Now, how does salvation fit into all of this? How does this relate? So, so far, he's just picked a group of people. I'm going to make a great nation. There's going to be promise to them that's going to be fulfilled. Well, in the Old Testament, despite the fact that Israel was God's chosen people, that didn't indicate that all of Israel was saved. They were his chosen people, but salvation, uh, uh, your forgiveness of sin, your reconciliation to God, your granting of eternal life, has always been by grace through faith. So you have faith in God. You believe God. In fact, it's so said of Abraham that in Genesis fifteen six, and he, Abraham, believed God, and he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. So, and Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abraham for righteousness. So, the way that, that Abraham was declared righteous by God wasn't anything that he did. He just believed. He believed the words of the Lord. <clears throat> now, Before Abraham, at the very beginning, at the fall, there was a promise of a redeemer in Genesis 3.15 that would allow for eventual pardon of sin and a right standing before God. It was immediately after the fall, God promises uh, um, uh, the seed of woman would come and crush the serpent's head. um, And that is a promise um, that would continue throughout the Old Testament and be fulfilled in Christ. Now, many Jews did not uh, believe the word of God. Um, Much of the Old Testament talks about the Jews not believing in God's word. Uh, The book of Judges, they multiple times give up on the Lord, turn away from him. Uh, The law of Moses, the Mosaic law, that was not meant to be a means of salvation. It was meant to show people that they couldn't do it all by themselves. It was to show them that they had needed a savior. The New Testament would tell us that the Mosaic law was was a schoolmaster. It was essentially a teacher to say, here's a set of rules by God. And if you try to keep them all by yourself, you're going to fail. You need to, you need to recognize that and confess to God that you need a savior. You need someone to deliver you. Now in the Old Testament, blessing was promised by following the law. 
but not, but primarily a physical blessing. The Jews were very physically blessed people um, in the Old Testament times, um, and <clears throat> and. But unfortunately, that's not how the Jews took it. They took it as, well, we have the law. We're God's chosen people. We're all set. Um, we're saved. We, we don't have to worry. We're, we've got, we are his special people. So when Christ comes to this world and his ministry, he declares that he is the fulfillment of the law in Matthew five seventeen, He declares that the only way to God is through him. John 14, 6, I, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's no way through the Mosaic law to get to God. You have to go through Jesus. You need a Savior. And so towards the end of his earthly ministry, Christ indicates that he is actually, so he comes to this world to offer himself as uh, the Messiah to the Jews, and the Jews reject him. Um, And Towards the end of his earthly ministry, he says that he is turning away from the Jews because of this. And this happens in Matthew 23. Let me just read a couple verses, starting at verse 37. These are the words of Christ. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he's saying that they rejected him. He would have gathered them up when he was, it was here. They rejected him, and so he is, he is leaving their house to them desolate. Um, but he does say that there, there is a, a coming day wherein they will say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And we believe that there is some day in the future where... Um, Christ will reveal himself to the Jews to the point where everyone, every Jew on the earth at that time will recognize Christ as Messiah and be saved in a single day. But that's a future time. It's not today. Jews today that don't confess Christ as Savior will go to hell. So salvation today continues to be as it's always been, by grace through faith. But our faith is a little different today. Not that, not that it's faith in some... In, not that it's not faith to God or something like that, but we see, we have more of the story. We, our faith is in the finished work of Christ. We don't look ahead toward a Messiah. We look back towards what Christ did on Calvary. Um, and while God promises that he will continue to, he will fulfill for the Jews things in the future, uh, today they come to Christ just like Gentiles. Uh, today is the period, in fact, that the Gentiles are actually said in Scripture to be in an advantage uh, before God, due to the Jews' rejection of their Messiah. <clears throat> we'll get to this pretty soon in our study in Romans, but Romans eleven twenty five says, For I would not, brethren, this is Paul writing, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Here's another mystery. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So Paul's telling us that we are in a day and age where the, the Jews are largely blinded from the truth of the Messiah so that God can gather Gentiles in. And once the fullness of the Gentiles come in, he will turn his eyes again towards the Israelites. So that's what uh, this difference between Jew and Gentiles, what Paul has been discussing throughout the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. And that's why we took some time now to just kind of get our identity straight 
um, and, and because it's kind of a key in, in understanding the mystery uh, that Paul is unfolding to us. So I'm going to go back uh, to Ephesians 2. That was page 1649. <clears throat> um, and before we get into the details in the text of the mystery, we're going to maybe a more fundamental question is what is a mystery? And why would God have a mystery from the people of this world? Well, interestingly, the mystery word, and I, I think we talked about this when we were in Ephesians 1, the word mystery in English kind of comes from the mysterium work, word in the Greek, but it's a profound secret, something wholly unknown or something kept cautiously concealed. This is the dictionary definition. And therefore, exciting curiosity or wonder. That's a little different than this mystery because people weren't being curious about it. They didn't know it. Um, the word in the, in the Greek, um, something hidden, something not fully manifest. So a mystery is something that is concealed. In this case, the mystery of God is information that God has kept hidden from man until a particular time. Now, there are multiple examples of mysteries. We've talked about it already. One of them is when Christ would speak to his disciples and to his followers and to those listening in in parables. He'd tell a story, um, the parable of the soils, where, uh, you know, or, or <clears throat> different, different parables throughout his, his ministry to teach a lesson, but they weren't necessarily teaching the same lesson to everyone. Christ's words in Mark 4.11, and he said unto them, Unto you, he's talking to his disciples, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. So Christ was specifically revealing information to, people, to some people, but not to all. To everyone else, the information will remain hidden. Now, the idea of a mystery may make you think it's a little different than we might think of today. This isn't like a whodunit type uh, mystery. You saw this week uh, Angela Lansbury passed away. Speaking of people who dealt with mysteries um, in the TV show, uh, which the kids don't know about, Murder, She Wrote. Um, she would go around just like we were at, well, we watched Sherlock Holmes, right? Um, she had to gather clues to determine the answer to the mystery of who committed murder or some other um, heinous crime. Uh, but this mystery is not the same. Because there's not clues out there. Out there, We're not searching for the, the, the mystery of God. If God has not revealed something to man, there's no amount of digging that man can do to find it. Um, in fact, given that it's hidden to man, mankind doesn't even know that there's something to dig for. You don't know, you're, you don't know that there's something you need to be looking for. So, in, in, so that's the way the mystery is just hidden information that has not yet been revealed. So it's simply God unfolding more of his plan to mankind. He's telling us something about his plan for the future that before then we didn't know. So what is this mystery? What is God doing through the mystery in Ephesians? Um, and before we give the details of what the mystery is, what, the one more thing I want to do first is uh, answer the question, why is God revealing it? Why is God giving us the answer or this new information? Does he like just, he likes to share secrets once in a while? Um, and that's not the answer. If we go back to Ephesians and now over to chapter 3, in verses 9 through 11, we're going to see the reasons. <clears throat> so we're going to skip over what the mystery is for a second and go to why is God revealing it? 
So Ephesians 3 and verse 9. And the, the actual answer is in verse 10, but we're going to start in verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So it is hidden from the beginning of the world to mankind. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the internal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the key, the key there is the to the intent. This is why. Why did God reveal? You know, why, what is the purpose of this mystery? That unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So God is intent that those powers in heavenly places might see the wisdom of God, and how he is putting together his church. Now, we've talked about principalities and powers before. These, aren't, these principalities and powers aren't you and me. It's not mankind. This, these, these principalities and powers aren't Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. These principalities and powers point to the host of spiritual beings, both the elect angels and the fallen angels, the heavenly host. So God, in his creation of the church, which we are in a section of scripture where he's telling us how he's going to put his church together. He's going to put it together using Jews and Gentiles, and we'll get more into details of that in a minute. But the creation of the church is being done to put us on display for the heavenly host to see just how wise God is. Now, God could have told the heavenly host how wise he was. He could have just said it. He could have proclaimed the wisdom of the Lord in the heavens. But rather, he designed the church and put it together, is assembling it now, and he's putting us on display. So this continues to drive home one of the main points in Ephesians is that our lives just aren't all about us. (laughs) Um, Remember from chapter 1, We had God's work of election and his work of predestination. And why was it done? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Our salvation was through faith, which was the gift God gave us. He gave that gift, right? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And his salvation was not so that we would just, he just loved us so much so that we'd be happy in our state, but he saved us in chapter 2, verse 10, so that we would do good works. So he created works for us. So he had, his outcome is the praise and the glory of his grace, us doing works which he has created. So now, what is God doing with born-again children of God? He's gathered them together for his church. Right? But it's not so that we can, again, simply feel good about ourselves and have a place that we can go to meet and see other Christians, though that is wonderful. God's purpose in doing it this way is that he would, is that this is, we would help him demonstrate his wisdom to all spiritual beings. That was his eternal purpose. It said, in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way that God was able to accomplish this, right? Our salvation, we needed Christ to die for us to be saved and to be risen from the dead. <clears throat> and so, Jesus is the way that God used to, to craft this or to allow his wonderfully wise plan to happen. But if we are, if you and I today are born again children of God, we're on display. 
not only to the world around us, but to the heavenly host. And that is a pride-crushing thought. The praise is to be given to the wise creator of the universe. And it makes you think about, there's, there is, um, in this, in, in, even in Christianity, a, dar- a debate on who's responsible for your salvation. Are you responsible for your salvation? Or is God responsible for your salvation? And there's, diff- there's full ends of the spectrum, um, to some, we, where we would go even beyond, uh, there are many, most religions in the world that are either claim to be Christian or not Christian, would say their way to heaven is by their works. They get to heaven by their works. But it, there's even segments of, of what we would say it would be professing and believing Christians that would say that each person within us has the ability to choose God. But if that was the case, then if we did that, would that show the world or the heavenly host the wisdom of God in the same way that if that it's God's, God's working out a plan today and he's working it out by calling his elect and saving them? We don't understand all the details of it and we don't understand exactly how the balance between me confessing Christ and in, 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 confessing Christ, confessing faith in Christ, and 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 God drawing me to Himself, how that all works. But if His plan, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of me to choose Him. No, it's a manifold wisdom of God to create His this plan by which He would save us. But we're missing the key ingredient, the last element here that's probably the, the most important one for our subject lines. What, what is the mystery? We've been told like how the people groups can, are, exist in this world. We kind of, now we know what God is trying to do. He is trying to show off his church to the angels fallen and, and, and not fallen to Satan himself, how wise he is. But what is, how is he doing this? What is the mystery? What is the new information? And so let's go in in chapter 3, back to verse 4. Actually, let's go to verse 3. How that by revelation he has made known unto me the mystery. So first, the mystery was revealed to Paul. As as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That, so now we are there, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So verse 6 there gives us the details of the mystery, which I think you, even from our last study in Ephesians, you may know kind of where this, what the mystery is. But the mystery is that Gentiles would be brought together with Jews in the same body, the church, under Christ. That is the mystery. That Gentiles would be brought together with Jews in the same body under Christ. It's Christ's church. So within the church, there's no Jew or Gentile. In fact, you'll see it in the New Testament. 
that people groups will be referred to as Jew, Gentile, and the Church of God. So there are three distinct groups. There's unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, and believing people which are in the church. They're simply born-again children of God in the church. Now, verse 5 told us it was not known in the past. It was not, and other ages was not made known unto us. So when the Jews were seeking to keep the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, they were, they were not anticipating a time in which the Messiah would come and be followed by, by Gentiles. Uh, in fact, their expectation was that the Messiah would come and deliver them, right? He would set up his kingdom. He would come and set up his earthly kingdom and even destroy Gentiles that would resist. He was a Jew that was going to reign over the world. And that, that belief continued right up through the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the scribes in the New Testament during Christ's ministry. Those, there were many that thought that he was, he was, that whoever the Messiah was going to be, that we're going to set up a, a kingdom right then and there. And when Christ came meek and lowly, uh, they rejected him because he, they didn't, he didn't fit their plan. But the first advent of Christ was to allow a means by which both Jew and Gentile could be reconciled to God and join the same new spiritual body, which is the Church of Christ. So, an implication for that today is that there is not a different path to God for Jew and Gentile. Because there is a, there, you may ask, you may, you may talk to someone who's Jewish today, and they may even say that Jews have one way to God, and Gentiles have another way to God, which is through Jesus. And that argument can't hold. Why? Because Christ identified himself as the only way to the Father. Um, and we said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if you were in a conversation with a Jewish person and they, they said that you each had a, a valid religion and your own separate way to God, you could ask them the simple of question as to whether they believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And if they said no, then you would tell them that they are denying Christianity as a valid religion, because that's what Christ claims for himself. There are no additional pathways to God. There is only one, and that is through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. So if we look back in Ephesians here in chapter 3 and verse 6, We see that the Gentiles would become partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. So that what's the promise that he's talking of there? Well, we talked about it already. That's the promise that that goes all the way back to the original calling of Abraham. Remember when Abraham was called by God, he was given a promise. I'm going to read it again. You don't need to turn there in Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless all them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So there was a promise given that all families of the earth would be blessed. And one family in particular, the Jews, is where the entire Old Testament is focused. 
And what we are seeing here is the remainder of this promise being brought to light. Um, and there are, uh, there are the more details on how this happens and what this looks like is in the book of Galatians, which we're going to turn there next. Galatians chapter 3, which is page uh, 1639 in the Pew Bible. Comes just before Ephesians. Let's see, Galatians. I need to get there myself here. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. I'm going to read a little bit from verse 7. <clears throat> know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through, the, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many are of the works, or let's try that again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law is in, in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the Apostle Paul is here in Galatians connecting the Old Testament promise in a, or to Abraham that in him all nations would be blessed. And that blessing would include, <clears throat> which is that verse 14 says, receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith. So receiving of the Holy Spirit is, is part of that promise. And so Paul, in these verses, is this is Paul, another letter of Paul to the church at Galatia. He's, he's d- clearly drawing the distinction between keeping the law and having faith in God. They're different things. We're not justified or declared righteous to, by God by the fact that we keep the, the rule book, the Mosaic law. Um, and this is a good thing. We're, we're happy about this because we can't do it. We can't fully keep it. Um, so we'd all be condemned. It's only by faith that man is justified just like we saw with Abraham, right? He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And in verse eight of this this section in Galatians, I find it interesting. It says, the scripture knew the mystery because, so it says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. So the scripture knew the mystery before we did, (laughs) The scripture is the word of the all-knowing, omniscient God. But mankind didn't understand it, and it would not be revealed for thousands of years until we reach the letter to the Ephesians here, or, or that, that time at least. And so in a, back in Ephesians 3.5, we're told that this mystery is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets and was made known by the Holy Spirit of God. It's divine knowledge. And... I'm going to go back now to Ephesians 3. In 
In verse 7, it says Paul was made a minister of it. And the Greek word for minister is the same word we get our English word deacon from. It's a, a word meaning the servant or service. <clears throat> so Paul is a deacon or a servant of the mystery. He's been given a special job to show Gentiles the implications of receiving the mystery. But even in Paul, it was only by the gift of the grace of God through God's power that allowed him to do this. So that maintains the consistent theme we've seen in Ephesians. Remember in chapter 2, we saw that God was the one who opened our eyes to the spiritual truths about Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave us spiritual life. So in today's uh, information age or knowledge age, you know, where we have Google and Wikipedia and all human knowledge, we frequently like to think that if we put our minds to it, we can understand and discover anything. In fact, we learned how to move asteroids, right, Raspi? <clears throat> or we can sometimes only predict weather many days in advance. But mankind was powerless to reveal this mystery. We would never have discovered it. We're completely dependent upon God for all of our spiritual blessings. So today we've been given some background for what Paul will be unfolding to us in the end of chapter 2 and throughout much of chapter 3. God had had his eyes focused on the Jews throughout the Old Testament from Abraham. See, everybody was, was Gentiles after Noah. And Abraham, we have the Jewish nation, begins through the promised line, and it goes to Christ. And now, God has expanded his focus to the entire world. That's why in Romans 10.13, uh, Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Jew, Gentile, that's anyone. Now, we don't have time to get into it today because we're coming to an end. But the Bible is also clear that God has not <clears throat> completely forgotten his connection that he has to the Jews. In Romans 11, we'll see that God will again turn his eyes to Israel. And just listen to this. For I would not, brethren, this is Paul writing, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. We read that. Let's continue. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So we praise God that we are in that day that the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God. It's a really, really big plus for us. It's a really, really, really good thing. Um, and we can praise God for the revealing of the mystery that allows us to know that and be part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so let us diligently focus our minds in the coming weeks to what the details of the church are, um, which is now, as we can now recognize, it is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And once you come into that church, one of the things that gets taught out of this section of Scripture frequently is that there is no room for racism in Scripture. Because this makes it known that the church of God is made up of all ethnicities and, it's, and Jew and Gentile are really the two that should be at the biggest odds with each other. And, and it is those that God has really brought together in his church. And there is no um, need, there is no, there's a peace between them, as we talked about last time. For he is our peace, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So that is our introduction to the mystery. And we will continue to expand it now in the next uh, few weeks. So let's pray.